January 23rd, 2020, just over five months ago, which is amazing if you think about it. Like, doesn't it feel like way more than five months ago? Why would that be? Maybe it's because it's been the craziest five months in our lifetime. But on January the 23rd, 2020, I was sitting in my office and I was studying and praying, asking God where we needed to move as a church after we finished our journey through the book of Jude. If you recall, we talked about the book of Jude where Jude reminds us that this life is a battle. No kidding, right? But we have everything that we need to experience a soul level victory that is won from the inside out. But I'm sitting in my office on January 23rd, asking myself, where do we move from here? And I felt God impress on me that we needed to move into the book of Nehemiah. In fact, I was so sure that I sent myself an email and the email just said this on January 23rd, preach on Nehemiah. Boom. That's how I communicate by, uh, with myself, by the way. I email myself four or five, six times a day. We have amazing conversations. So January 23rd, preach on Nehemiah. Not really that surprising. Nehemiah is an incredible book on leadership. But something interesting happened to me as I typed out those words, preach on Nehemiah, a phrase came into my mind and that phrase was real simple. It was this, it's rebuilding time. It's rebuilding time. It's rebuilding time. It's rebuilding time. See, Nehemiah isn't just a book on leadership. It's a book about a guy named Nehemiah who leads a team that rebuilds the walls of Jerusalem. And in so doing, uh, they mark the rebirth of a nation. It's rebuilding time. And back on January the 23rd of 2020, uh, that confused me. And so I sent myself another another email and the next email said, what is my wall? What is my wall? Like, what would I need to rebuild? Well, I actually didn't send the email to myself. When I get in a hurry and I'm emailing myself back and forth, sometimes instead of emailing Michael Manis, I email Michael Rumsby. He's an old friend of mine, a longtime Southsider, and he's really kind. He usually just forwards me the email straight back like he did back on January 23rd. He said this, juggling too many things. And then my email, what is my wall? See, on January the 23rd, 2020, I had this vision (laughs) and the vision was smooth sailing. We were on a growth trajectory as a church. Uh, We were building a beautiful facility, our first ever full-time church facility just off of Vetter Road. Man, I looked ahead and and my term for 2020 back on January 23rd would have been this, above and beyond. It's rebuilding time, but what do we need to rebuild? That was my question on January 23rd. And then February, March, April, May, June happened. And now it's pretty clear, isn't it? What's my wall? My wall is the world, and it's rebuilding time. And and I want you to think about the kindness of God who goes before us. Back on January 23rd, 2020, he knew that in this series that launched on June 21st, he knew exactly where we were going to be. What's our wall? Our wall is the world, and it's rebuilding time. So two weeks ago, we launched into this series and we talked about the fact that if you're going to rebuild, you need compassion and you need empathy. 
that Nehemiah is living in Susa, 1,200 kilometers away from Jerusalem, but he hears that the walls are down and the gates are burned. And he prays and he fasts and he looks at the people and he looks at the city of Jerusalem. He says, those are my people. That is my city. This is personal. It's rebuilding time and I'm going to help. Well, the same is true for you and me. We look around our world right now and there's so many people that their emotional walls are down or their spiritual walls are down. And we, and we look around uh, in our neighborhoods and in our world and in our cities and we say, these are our people. This is our city. So it's personal. It's rebuilding time and we're going to help. And last week we talked about the courage that Nehemiah had to have in, in, in order to step up and say, I will be the answer to prayer. That Nehemiah went to King Artaxerxes and he said, would you please send me so that I can rebuild the walls of Jerusalem? And it got me thinking about us that this is no time in the history of our world, in the history of our lives, in the history of our church. This is not the time to play small. I went as far last week as to say this, God called, he wants his genius back. He, he wants us to dream big dreams again. He wants us to see visions again. He wants us to look around the world again, the way that the world could be and ask, why not? He wants us to look around with curiosity and wonder and ask, what if? He wants us to look ahead to the future with joy and enthusiasm and ask, what's next? It's rebuilding time. And thank God you're here. So we pick up the story of Nehemiah. In Nehemiah chapter two, verse six, he's asked the king if he can go back to Jerusalem. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take? And when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may, may I have letters to the governors of trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so that he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. I really love this section. Nehemiah goes for it. Have you ever heard that phrase, um, never say someone's no for them? Well, that's a perfect example of that here. First, Nehemiah asked, can I go back to Jerusalem? Can I leave my post as cupbearer to King Artaxerxes? Can I go back to Jerusalem? And then he says, oh, can I also get permission? Can I get provisions? Can I get authority? Can I get power? Can I, can, can I, can I get all of this also? And Nehemiah thinks to himself, well, what's the worst thing that the king can say? Well, the truth is in that culture at that time, what the king could have said was, Nehemiah, you're asking too many questions. I'm annoyed. I'm going to have you killed. But Nehemiah knew that he had a different relationship with the king than that. And so he really knew that the worst thing that King Artaxerxes could have said was no, but he didn't say no, he said yes. And it got me thinking about you. And, and here's what I've been wondering. Have you been saying people's no for them? Like what's the question that you have not yet asked because you're scared the person will say no? Like, I wonder what kind of dreams could take shape if you would just ask the question. I wonder what kind of vision you could step into if you would just ask the question. I wonder what hope could rise. I wonder what businesses could be launched. I wonder what kind of difference you could make. 
I wonder what kind of legacy you could leave. I I wonder what kind of um, joy you could spread. I wonder what kind of love you could show. I I wonder what kind of purpose you could fulfill if you would just ask that question that you've been too scared to ask because the answer might be no. Well, let me get a little more practical. Let me talk to the single guys. Single guys. I wonder what date you could go on if you would just ask her out. And see, every time I talk about something like this, I get feedback from some of the single girls. And what they say to me is, I really wish you wouldn't say that, Mike, because every time you say that, this is what happened. There's a guy that's been asking me out for four years straight. Like every two days for four years, he's been asking me out and it's finally slowed down a little bit. And then you say that and he just goes again. I'm not really talking about that. In fact, well, maybe I would show this to that person. It's this little poster I found years ago. It says, it's over, man. Let her go. But I'm talking to you, single guy. That girl you want to ask out, but you don't. See, here's what you need to do first. You need to repent of the sin of self-rejection. Let me tell you something that you already might know, but you're not living in light of it. You are God's idea. God loves you. He's with you. He's for you. Your worth and your value and your approval and your acceptance was unequivocally established through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You have nothing to prove to anyone. So you need to let go of your crippling insecurity and you need to ask her out. And if she says no, that doesn't reflect on your worth or your value. That reflects on her poor taste. Single girl, I would say the same to you. You say, well, I'm kind of old fashioned. I don't really believe in asking a guy out. Okay, but you know what you could do? You could, you could let it be known that if this particular guy was to ask you out, you would say yes. You know what I'm saying? But you don't do it. And the reason you don't do it is because you need to repent of the sin of self-rejection. So let me tell you something that you might already know, but you're not currently living in light of it. You're God's idea. God loves you. He's with you. He's for you. And your worth and your value and your approval and your acceptance were unequivocally established through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You have nothing to prove to anyone. So you need to let go of your crippling insecurity. And you need to put it out there that if that guy was to ask you out, you would say yes. And what if he doesn't ask you out? It doesn't reflect on your worth. It doesn't reflect on your value. It reflects on his poor taste. And I'm not just talking about asking somebody out on a date. I'm talking to all of us, no matter what life situation you're in. I want, I want us to sit in that just for a second. I want, to, I want you to just sit in that just for a second. And I want to ask you this really simple question. What lies on the other side of the question that you're too scared to ask? What lies on the other side of the question that you're too scared to ask? Okay, let's continue on in Nehemiah chapter two. Nehemiah says, I went to the governors of trans-Euphrates and I gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed. We're going to talk a lot more about these guys in the weeks to come. And that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. 
But I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. Nehemiah is beginning to uh, gather a team around him. After he tours the city, he gathers everybody in, and he says this, I said to them, you see the trouble we were in? Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let's rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. I find this just so amazing. The, the contrast between last week and this week. Last week, we saw Nehemiah say, man, I'm willing to take responsibility for this wall myself. And this week we say, I'm willing to take responsibility myself, but this job is too big for me to do by myself. Nehemiah gathers a team around him. And, and, and if you step into Nehemiah chapter three, and if you have a second this week, I would love if you would read through Nehemiah three. It, it's amazing because Nehemiah goes section by section through that wall. Spoiler alert, the wall gets rebuilt, okay? He goes section by section through the wall. And he says, this is the family that built that section. These are the guys that built that section. This is the group that built that section. And, and, and he goes on and on and he mentions every part of the team that did it. See, we, every one of us, we need to step up eventually in our life and we need to take responsibility for ourselves. But we need, to, uh, we, we need to do things in this world that are too big for us to get it done ourselves. I've said it this way before that uh, it's rebuilding time and together as a church, we're going to help. Because if we don't pull together, we'll be no help at all. And here's the reason why. We live in a world right now that's incredibly divided, incredibly fractured, incredibly isolated, and incredibly lonely. And, and, and we need to step into that as we pull together. But the sad thing is, is if you look at so many churches and so many Christians and you want to define their life, you would say that their life could de de be defined as fractured, divided, isolated, and lonely. And I got a gift that I want to give you today. It's a really, really important gift. I believe the gift that I'm about to give you today is going to change that. I believe the gift that I'm about to give you today could change marriages and families and small groups and churches. It's a big deal. I want to give you a gift. Okay. Here's the gift that I want to give you. I want to give you Proverbs 27, 17 back. Today, I want to give you, whether, whether this is your first time ever walking into a church or whether you've been a part of church online since we started or whether you've been going to church your whole life, I want to give you Proverbs 27, 17 back. Are you ready for it? I'm going to give it back to you. Here's what it says. It says this, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. I have never seen a verse misinterpreted, misunderstood, and misapplied as much as this verse. This verse has become the calling card for the dysfunctional side of the Christian accountability movement. Iron sharpens iron. And so they say when they read that, so in, in that case, hit me with your best shot. Hit me where it hurts. Give it to me straight. Stab me in the front. And I want you to think about that because I want you to think about the image just for a second. Uh, um, iron sharpens iron. Imagine this picture. 
of someone taking a hammer to a sword and banging away over and over and over again and thinking that somehow by hammering away on that sword that it's going to make it sharper. That's the dysfunctional side to the Christian accountability movement. And what it does is it causes religiosity, performance-based acceptance, and refereeing. I want you to think about one of these meetings. Maybe you've never been. Good for you. I've been. And they go something like this. Did you surf porn this week? Did you get drunk this week? Did you get stoned this week? Did you get high? I don't know if if getting stoned and getting high are the same thing or not, but did, did, did you eat too much this week? Did you neglect your family this week? Um, did you get angry this week? Did you miss any workouts this week? And I want you to think just for a second that somebody walked into that meeting who had never heard of the Bible, never heard of church at all. And they asked you, what are you doing? And you said, oh, uh, we believe in God and, and we're here to pursue him. And they would look at you and they would go, oh, I get it. So you're here to appease your God. You're here to jump through a number of hoops in order that your God might love you. And if, you, if they said that to you, this is what you would say, of course not. You would say, well, I don't change to earn God's love. God's love changes me. In fact, I would love it. If you take notes, or even if you don't regularly take notes, could you do me a favor? Could you take out a piece of paper? And could you write that down on a piece of paper? Because I believe it's true. I don't change. I'm showing you. I don't change to earn God's love. God's love changes me. Okay, but religiosity says I got to jump through some hoops, which leads to performance-based acceptance, right? As, a, as if I got to behave a certain way in order to be accepted. And it's not just the person who is being held accountable. It is the person who is holding the others accountable who must perform, right? Because, because I, got to find, I got to find you. I got to catch you doing something wrong because if I don't, what are we doing here? What's my purpose in life if I can't catch you doing something wrong? Right? Like, um, did you surf porn? No. Well, did you think about surfing porn? No. Okay, well, did you look at a girl in your gym with lust in your eyes? No. Well, did you glance at a girl in your gym? No. Okay, well, well, how about this? Did you hold the door open to your gym one time when you're walking in, and there might or might not have been a girl behind you who you let into the gym? Well, maybe. See, you pervert, that's why you need me. That's why I'm here. Performance-based acceptance, which leads to refereeing. Refereeing is leadership at its worst. Referee is me as a parent at my worst. Refereeing is trying to catch people doing something wrong. You wait for them to step out of bounds. You blow the whistle. You call a penalty and you punish. Refereeing. Something really interesting about that concept though, isn't there? Like if, you, if you've ever seen anyone accomplish great things, you know, maybe win a Nobel Prize or a Pulitzer, an Olympic gold medal, or maybe an MVP award in athletics. Do you notice one group of people that they never thank? Have you ever heard anybody at an acceptance speech thank a referee? Have you ever heard that? Man, I just want to thank Fred the referee. Fred teed me up 17 times in my senior year. He gave me 17 technical fouls. Fred, even when I wasn't doing anything wrong, you gave me a technical foul anyways. I thank you for teaching me to persevere through persecution. Fred, I couldn't have done it without you. You know, Fredrika, the referee, 
Man, she had an eagle eye. I will tell you, Frederica, she knew that sideline. And when I stuck one millimeter of my foot over that sideline, boom, she blew the whistle and gave the ball to the other team. Frederica, thank you. You've never heard that. You've never heard that. And I'll bet in your life, listen, I bet in your life, you've heard a number of acceptance speeches. And there's a pattern. And maybe you missed it because we can apply it to Proverbs 27, 17. And I can give it back to you today. If you listen very carefully to those speeches, you will hear three groups of people that they're going to thank almost every time. Number one, their parents. Maybe a mom, maybe dad, maybe both. They thank their parents for unconditional love. You love me no matter what. So many examples of this. Kevin Durant, back a few years ago when he won MVP of the NBA, he thanked his mom and he called his mom, in fact, you're the real MVP. Or Michael Jordan, when he won his fourth championship on Father's Day and went on to say later that he never would have been there without his dad who had passed away. Now, you probably know that story a little bit because you watched the Last Dance documentary on Netflix because I've told you four different times now to watch the Last Dance documentary on Netflix. So I'm very certain that because I told you four times to watch the Last Dance documentary on Netflix, that you've actually watched the Last Dance documentary on Netflix, which is great. It's so encouraging to me. But let's just say that you didn't. Let's say you didn't watch the, the Last Dance documentary on Netflix. I forgive you. I'm serious. Unconditional love. I forgive you. But now let's just say this. One more. Let's just say that you did not watch the Last, da- Last Dance documentary, but you have watched at least one season of 90 Day Fiance. If that's the case, I'm kicking you out of my accountability group. You're gone. Gone. Done. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not really kidding. But, but anyways, you, you, you will, if you listen for the, I want to give you Proverbs 27, 17 back, right? If you listen real carefully for the pattern, you'll see them thank their parents for their unconditional love. The second group they'll thank is they'll thank a coach or or a coaching figure for their unwavering faith. Right? They'll talk about that coach and they'll say, "Um, that coach saw things in me that I never saw in me. She pulled potential out of me that I didn't even know was there. He, 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 he got me to perform at a level that I never believed that I could perform at because of their unwavering faith. So, so we see unconditional love. We see unwavering faith. And the third group you're going to hear them thank is you're going to hear them thank their teammates for their unshakable support. Man, this is an individual award, but I couldn't have won it without my teammates. Everyone doubted us, but we never doubted us. We, everyone thought the odds were stacked against us, but we believed in each other. You had my back and you were in my foxhole and I thank you. That's it. That's the pattern. That's Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen. That's iron sharpens iron. You know what it looks like? Unconditional love. When I know that you love me no matter what. Unwavering faith. Man, you, you, you catch me doing something good. You see potential in me that I don't even see in me. And finally, unshakable support. You had my back no matter what. So I just want to stop for a second. And I want to give you Proverbs 27, 17 back. That's what iron sharpens iron is. It's not taking a hammer and banging away on a sword and thinking that's going to help. It's unconditional love. 
unwavering faith and unshakable support. So I want to ask you four questions. Number one, I want to take a minute and I want to ask you to prayerfully consider if right now, when you look at, at the person you're married to, if you're married, when you look at your family and your friends, maybe your small group, are you displaying to them? Do you have an opportunity today, this week, to display to them unconditional love, unwavering faith, and unshakable support? Question number two, look in your life right now. Are there people in your life that you would say display to you unconditional love, unwavering faith, and unshakable support? And if you have people like that in your life, you are blessed. And you need to thank them, and you need to consider how you can spend more time with them than you're currently spending. I want to give you Proverbs 27, 17 back. And the third question I have for you is, are you in a self-side small group? I, I would like to implore you today, would, would you be willing to step up and text the keyword group to 604-670-3040? Would you be willing to do that? And you say, well, I, I'd be willing to go in a small group, but it's summer and I want to wait to the fall. Can you text group anyways and just let us know that you don't want to be placed in a small group until the fall? But, but, but I need to tell you, there are some small groups that are meeting now. In fact, we created a space behind the hangar uh, that's just a beautiful outdoor social distancing place for small groups to begin to meet together. Here's a picture of it. Maybe you say, well, I, I just want to meet with Zoom right now. That's fine. We can, we can do that. But here's the thing. I believe that there's somebody in a group right now that needs your unconditional love, your unwavering faith, and your unshakable support. And there's someone in a group that can provide for you unconditional love, unwavering faith, and unshakable support. Last question. Would you be willing to sign up for FTC? We're doing For This City, August 8th. We're going to pull together on August 8th. See, years ago, we came to this realization that uh, the answer to the question, what are we here for as a church, is real simple. We are here for this city. That's why we're here. We really believe that God can use us to change this city one life, one story at a time through the message of the gospel. But we also know that people don't really care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so one of the things that we've been doing uh, all year long for years now is we've been extending a hand of help to our city. Every chance that we can get. And you know what we've seen over and over again? We've seen that when people know how much we care, then they are open to hear the message of the gospel and their life and their family and their legacy changes. We do it all year round, but, 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 but once a year or a couple times a year, we come together. This time it's August 8th and we come together. We remind ourselves we have a ton of fun. We have a ton of fun and we come together and we say, we are for this city. We celebrate that fact. And, 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 and we just, uh, together, together, we come together and we extend a hand of help to our city. So I want to ask you, I, I would love for this year, FTC to be the biggest that we've ever done. So if you haven't done so yet, can you please text FTC to 604-670-3040? Say, I don't even live in, in that city, Mike. That's fine. What, whatever city you're in, please text it in. We want to we brainstorm with you. We want to dream with you of how we can be for your city too. 
FTC. So just before I close, today I endeavored to give you Proverbs 27:17 back, and, and I'm afraid some of you might want to take it back. <laughs> You'll look at me and say, well, what about Hebrews 10, Mike? Hebrews 10 says that we're just to spur each other on towards love and good deeds. You know what? We are, and we will. You know what Acts 2 verse 4 says? It says that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Man, I, I want you to take a second, and I want you to take out that piece of paper that, that I was talking about earlier. The one where you wrote, I don't change to earn God's love, but God's love changes me. And I want you to write below it, uh, I don't change to earn, and then put a blank, love, but blanks, love changes me. Because um, you were made in whose image? In God's image, and you're becoming more like him. Imagine, imagine, imagine if the people in your life could look at you and say this, I don't change her in Mike's love, but Mike's love changes me. Because the truth is, when I look back at my life and you look back in your life, you will realize the people who have inspired us to the greatest change and the greatest effectiveness are the people who showed us, wait a minute, unconditional love, unwavering faith, and unshakable support. And, and, and if there's ever a moment that I need somebody to call me up to a higher standard, you know who I really want to hear from? Someone who has displayed to me unconditional love, unwavering faith, and unshakable support. That's it. That's it. So as I close, I can't help thinking about those three descriptions. Unconditional love, unwavering faith, and unshakable support. And the best person in history who displayed all three of those is Jesus and I guess it was important for me to tell you today that Jesus has for you unconditional love. There's nothing that you have ever done that would make Jesus love you less. There's nothing that you could ever do that would make him love you more. He loves you so much. And he has unwavering faith in you. You understand that he, he created you with a purpose. And there's a person, a person that you were destined to become, a difference that you were destined to make. And Jesus looks at you through that lens. And finally, he has unshakable support for you. Like he's for you today, tomorrow, and forever. He promises that. That's why he came. That's why he died. That's why he rose again. And so I think your first step into being the person that you created to be and having the relationships that you were created to have is to accept that free gift of salvation that Jesus gave you, gave you through, your, through his unconditional love, his unwavering faith, and his unshakable support. So man, if you've never accepted that free gift, I want to give you a chance to do that right now. I'm going to pray out loud. And no matter where you are, I want to ask that you would just pray silently along with me. So dear Jesus, thank you for your unconditional love, your unwavering faith, and your unshakable support. I accept your gift of salvation today. Thank you. I pray that you would lead me and empower me today, tomorrow, and forever. In your name, amen. 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 I love you guys so much. Hey, I'm telling you, our marriages will change. Our families will change. Our church will change. The difference that we make will change if we take Proverbs 27, 17 back. See you next week.